You're listening to the Nutanix Community Podcast with Dwayne Lesner and Angelo Luciani, episode 69. Here we go. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I met up with Sachin Cheda at Nutanix HQ. Sachin is Senior Director of Solutions Marketing. He wrote a series of insightful blog posts on understanding the software and application strategy. We talk about building an application catalog, common tools, and laying out a roadmap. It's an interesting topic and you will certainly learn a lot. We did record this on site and there are some spots where the audio drops, so I hope you forgive me for that. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to the podcast today, Sachin. You recently published a series of blogs for infrastructure teams on understanding and building software and application strategy on our community site. And this is timely because of the wide adoption of agile development requiring IT operation teams to become more application and software savvy. We'll touch on some of the topics from these blogs today. Sachin, let me, let me start by asking, why should infrastructure teams care? Uh, Angelo, that's a great question, and thanks for having me. Um, One of the things that I always see uh, as a part of uh, the day-to-day operations and all the customers I talk to is there seems to be somewhat of a disconnect between infrastructure teams uh, see and do and plan and what the applications teams need. Um, In the past, we tried to solve this problem by delivering infrastructure as a service, which is still applicable today, right, where uh, compute is available as as a service, right? And it started off with this trend around virtualization, et cetera. But now I think there's an increasing need for IT infrastructure organizations to become more aware of the applications they support, not only from a... uh, a functional perspective, but also from the dynamics in terms of how they operate, what is their test and development uh, strategy, etc., and and support them. So and do by doing so, they are able to get uh, to a better uh, outcome from themselves and so become more agile in that sense. Let's also talk about creating an inventory or a catalog, and what can you share on that? Um, so the thing that I recommend for any organization on the infrastructure side is to start by just understanding what are some of the applications that they have to support. And there's no better way to do that in a way, if I can use the word audit, but audit some of the applications and understand what uh, they have to support today. What will they be supporting in the future? And, and there are a few areas that they should be focusing on as they go through this. Well, in addition to just the more the functional aspects of it, um, right, understanding what, does it, what kind of role does it play, uh, what are some of the history around it, etc. Also, look at some of the areas around the organizations that this, this uh, catalog supports. Now, this gets into a little bit more of the softer side or the organizational behavior side of IT, but it's important to understand um, like the RACI model or responsible, accountable, consulted, or informed model for this. And we can talk a little more about that later if, if, if you'd like. But just understanding that aspect of it un- gives a, the people a good good of who is involved in the decisions, etc. Also, it's important to understand what is the uh, the process side of things associated with the ca- uh, these uh, applications. Um, is this something that they refresh on a regular basis? Uh, do they have something that, that is more agile in nature from a development perspective? 
Then it's also important to understand some of the requirements tied to this. Now, the requirements come back to essentially looking at performance, looking at capacity, but also looking at some of the other software components that may go into it. Is this a monolithic application, a three-tier application? Is this something that's using microservices? Um, what kind of a constraint does this have around uh, uh, business side or from a from an uptime perspective if they have to adhere to something? And, and that gives in a way, IT a sense of what is needed from an infrastructure, core infrastructure perspective to support it. Now, kind of building on that trend of requirements, it's also important to understand the application's affinity to cloud technologies, right? So this is looking at cloud native technologies, looking at services that can be packaged in not only a virtual machine, but say in a container, um, using uh, leveraging databases as a service or, or RDS in that sense. And, and this is, an, again, another important point because one of the things that people will look at, and we'll talk about this uh, further down, is how are they evolving these applications? You know, what's their roadmap for that? And in a way, this gives the IT infrastructure teams a sense or confidence of knowing what they have to support. So earlier you touched, just briefly touched on RACI, and RACI seems to be a great organizational tool. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, yeah, I've used RACI actually throughout my whole career, all the way from when I was an engineer uh, to date. And uh, it's one of the things that I feel like every organization should have an equivalent uh, uh, a tool, organizational tool around it. Um, RACI stands for Responsible, Accountable, Consulted, and Informed. And what this does is it basically breaks down a task or a project or an, or an or a functional area into these these uh, different definitions where you identify who's responsible for it. This is again the group that does the work, completes the task, and it's important that they are basically on point for the actual function itself. Accountable or A uh, out of RACI is the person who delegates the work. They're the people who are responsible uh, for calling uh, the task complete if it is a task or setting the right set of expectations. They are, in, at the end of the day, the person that is accountable for the actual end outcome. Um, consulted or C is basically the group that is consulted before decisions are made and they are brought and kept in the process in the decision making process as well as in the progress throughout the organization and this is where they have a vested interest and the person who is responsible and accountable will have a vested interest in making sure that the consulted parties are involved in this so think of this as a business owner that has some sort of a vested stake in there uh, they may not be responsible or accountable but they definitely should be consulted because they may be the end users for all we know around that. And then I is informed. These are the people that need to be kept in the loop overall. Right. Uh, these are people who don't have to necessarily be involved in every single small detail associated with this, but they just need to be aware of what, what's happening as a part of this organization. Yeah, and it's a great tool. And I don't think, um, I'm not sure how how many folks are familiar with it so it's a great tool to to look up online for folks and i think you know just to get into the weeds on that a little bit i think you can only have one um one person responsible or one person accountable for a particular task you can't have multiple people uh, responsible. I, f I forgot which one it is. Yeah. It's really interesting that way. Yeah, so accountable, you always have one person accountable. This is the person, as, as we probably say, the yeah. buck 
stops with right. them. Yeah. Um, because if you have too many people, it gets into this whole uh, scenario where you have multiple people making right. decisions or there's conflict, etc. And you want to have one person that essentially takes the accountability uh, for the project. So right. it's, it's important to have that. Uh, you could have a responsible party, like it could be multiple people. And this is also an important point around kind of organizational design and project management is you should break tasks down enough to that you can resolve it down to one person right. being accountable. Yeah. So applications like people evolve over time. What do you think are ways applications and workloads evolve in organizations? Um, that's a great question. Um, I always say you should always pay attention to the four R's associated with building out a roadmap or, or looking at how applications evolve. Uh, those four R's are looking at rehosting. This is essentially looking at an application, doing nothing, but just simply moving them from an existing platform to a faster platform or a faster, faster uh, kind of setup in that sense. Um, we also call this lift and shift. Uh, it, it is a term that is used. There's no change to the code. And this is where uh, the, the, the legacy application is preserved as is. A uh, second one, I, I would say, in terms of the evolutionary side, is probably the first step is the concept of replatforming. This is where uh, organizations uh, look at upgrading the application to the latest version or enhancing some of the functionality before shifting it as, as a part of that uh, uh, their, their roadmap in that sense. Um, this makes for a good deal of what people consider as application modernization, where they go from an older, uh, non-supported uh, uh, you know, yeah. version of the software uh, to the latest and greatest. And they, uh, by the way, make changes for security, for performance, yeah. for usability. Again, it's not a re-architecture. It's not a rewriting. It is, in a way, re-platforming. Uh, the third thing that I would say is rewriting. This is essentially the most involved of it uh, because this requires essentially opening back the application, looking at what needs to change, and then rewriting it. A good example of this is uh, applications that were written for Unix uh, systems like HPUX or AIX or Solaris. Uh, as com uh, companies move away from Solaris or, or HBUX to, say, Linux, they have to rewrite some of these workloads yeah. um, in a way that is more efficient, right? They may, uh, uh, you know, go from C or C++ or, or whatever language they were using previously to, say, something like Java. Uh, in a way, they're re-architecting and rewriting it. Um, rewriting also is very relevant as people move to cloud-native uh, applications right, or cloud-native formats where they're using cloud services or they, they're moving uh, from, from a, a three-tier architecture to a microservices architecture. right? And, and those scenarios, there's definitely an opportunity to rewrite it. Um, this tends to be a, a fairly involved effort. It's not something that's straightforward or simple. And then the last one I would say, and this is one that oftentimes people just completely ignore, it is the concept of consciously retiring an application. Mm -hmm. um, applications that are uh, where the cost is greater than the, the, the value that we derive should be retired. It's straightforward uh, to, to make that decision. But many times people uh, just don't do that because they don't see the entire cost associated with that. So I would say that's definitely an important part of that. And as you build this roadmap, you have to consider a couple of things. So first, consider the technical reasons. It's important to understand where does an application stand today? Uh, what are some of the uh, areas that technologically are, are impactful? Um, for example, I always say, if you're looking at, uh, if you're an organization that's involved in manufacturing, 
you shouldn't be in the business of running an application for expense management. Mm-hmm. There's ways to simplify, just turn and retire whatever you're using there and adopt something like a like an expensive IR concur, which is a software as a service application. But on the flip side, if you are in the business of manufacturing, um, you should be spending more time and effort optimizing your supply chain management stack. Right? You should be spending time looking at ways you can improve your planning uh, stack, right? Or CRM, if you're in the concept of marketing to your your customers and managing orders, etc., as a part of that. So those are things that you should always consider from a technology perspective and a business perspective as, as you evolve these applications uh, there. And I mentioned economics of it. I, I think it's important to look at it. Um, the blog again touches on some of this stuff. I would also strongly recommend that people uh, take a look at uh, Steve Kaplan's uh, book that kind of organizes some of the thinking around the the, the TCO ROI side of things, yeah. especially. For applications, yeah, and we'll have uh, links to all that in the in the show notes. So that that's great, uh, and sort of on the sort of on a cost scale, if you will, probably rehosting and, and retiring are probably on the lower end, and um, replatforming, rewriting are on the higher end of the scale. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, though, even when you look at retiring applications, you have to look at things for like data archiving, right. oh, for right. compliance, or for yeah. whatever reason, if there is a need there. But it isn't as Involved as say rewriting. Yeah, Um, these decisions aren't made in isolation. Who are some of the folks involved in making these decisions? Would it be business folks as well, uh, along with IT? Yeah, I I believe so. I think it's important to have folks that are involved from a from a business perspective. As I mentioned earlier, you have to look at what are the the drivers from business perspective and then from a technical perspective as well right is is it technologically uh, worth doing this right i'll t- uh, one thing i'll tell you it it's never worth modernizing an application just because there's a newer technology involved right many a times the 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 value you derive is not uh, is not greater than the investment you have mm-hmm. to put in. Mm-hmm. So it's more important to look at this a little bit more holistically. So the business teams are definitely important. The the technology teams are important. And then, as I mentioned earlier, you have to consider the economic factors as it goes into this. And this is where finding uh, a business partner from finance is important to, to help you understand the, the numbers associated with that. Um, this is also an opportunity for IT teams to train themselves and become more right. savvy around that, especially the infra side, become more savvy around this and, and work with their application counterparts. Yeah, and it's um, it'd be interest, it, it informs both sides over time on just how the sort of the business operates and what's involved in total cost of, of the business and applications, etc. So always a great, great way to, to keep folks involved. Want to touch on uh, and talk about things like uh, continuous integration, c- continuous development, and deployment, deployment and delivery, delivery, yeah. uh, CI and CD uh, for short forms most people are familiar with, and the technical tools involved in in an infrastructure admin should should care about in the agile development journey. Yeah, um, I think tools are definitely something that that get used on both sides of the the dev ops equation, right? So the developers have their tools, uh, and then the operations teams have their tools, and tools essentially represent that bridge in a way uh, for from a day to day perspective. So let's start with the CI/CD side of things, right? So I think it's important that people look at dev environments, 
right? Infrastructure teams can easily automate the process of creating dev environments and supporting developers. Uh, this could be, you know, things like VDI uh, at, for developers with a complete build environment built in, IDE built in, etc. Source access to so code tracking. Um, it's the actual source code version management stuff that we see, like you know, with uh, GitHub yeah. or, or GitOlite or whatever. Um, this could be again a SaaS or hosted, or it could be maintained locally, Inter- yeah. right? Internally, on depending on the on the uh, requirements associated with that. There's also um, you know CI and build tools that we see like Jenkins, um, Circle CI, you know where you're you're building code, you're testing it, you're staging it from the developers, and and that you know it's it's essentially delivered and deployed into production in that sense. Um, and the, there's also a need and for tools like software repositories. Uh, and if you're in the cloud native world, like a, a container registry, right, where you're serving out the container images or you're, you're looking at ways, um, like Artifactory is a good example of that. So I think it's important to, to look at some of these areas. Um, and then if I can go back to kind of the infrastructure side, it's important to also have self-service tools right, for provisioning. Uh, for that basically make the underlying infrastructure, if I can use the word invisible, uh, invisible, right? So imagine a scenario where somebody wants access to an application or a database, um, having a provisioning tool or self-service tool that can make that happen, right? Or do they want a whole application stack, right? That where they can put in a few parameters, like, you know, in terms of uh, service levels, et cetera. And, and that's, that's where a lot of this comes in uh, where you essentially can provision VMs, containers, a storage, or like you know, looking at infrastructure or, or platforms as a service, etc. Yeah. Um, also, other tools that you should have as a part of this, right? Monitoring application performance, monitoring, etc. Uh, looking at tools around reporting, I think that's an important part of it, right? So that people know what are they tracking against, right? The metrics side of things, as well as just the general health side of it, and some of this could be. Um, you know, proactive reporting on a regular basis, right? You know, as, as people evolve their whole operation model in terms of becoming more agile and using uh, some of the uh, newer uh, ways of working, etc. But also looking at something that is more on the lines of an alerting mechanism um, in that sense. And then one of the things that we should chat about is, al- is also the set of tools around data migration and data portability, mm. Um it's, it's important to understand that infrastructure is now, the choices for infrastructure are numerous. Right? You could have on-prem clouds, you could have hosted clouds, hosted private clouds, uh, you could have managed private clouds. Yeah. Um, there's a need for moving things around. And there's tools associated with that as well. So where does the cloud fit into all this? Um, so first and foremost, I, I think it's important to understand that there are various different options uh, for running applications right there's the legacy way of like you know deploying a, a you know a silo of servers and storage and networking and basically running on there but i think one thing i would like to you know have people consider is the concept of a cloud comes in different forms it's private cloud it's public cloud and it's basically looking at options whether they run it themselves from a private cloud perspective or they work with a service provider, right? So in a Nutanix sense, we have service providers like Sextera or QTS uh, uh, and others like uh, um, uh, Mason IT and others out there 
that essentially offer their customers uh, uh, access to uh, a Nutanix environment or Nutanix private cloud environment right, with self-service and other, other aspects of this. But it's really a hosted model or it's a managed model in that sense. Um, so I think it's important to understand that that aspect of it comes into play uh, when you look at it, that it's, it's, it's private clouds. And then it's also public clouds, right? These are the hyperscalers that we talk about, right? GCP. Um, these are the folks that we see, um, you know, uh, running uh, applications in, in AWS, et cetera, uh, to make that work. And this is also where the tools come in, right? You have to look at the portability of going from AWS to on-prem, right? right? Yeah. Or looking at the portability between two private clouds. Uh, and that's essentially what builds that interaction and makes clouds hybrid in that sense. Um, we actually did a study, uh, Angelo, if I could take a detour, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, we did a study called the Enterprise Cloud Index. It's actually published on the Nutanix site. Uh, it would be good to post a link when the podcast is done. But uh, basically, they examined, you know, is what is the, the, uh, the uh, uh, respondent's, uh, you know, preferred model for, for cloud. Uh, and we had a, a, an overwhelming number of folks actually report back that hybrid clouds was their ideal state. And hybrid clouds, in this case, is like, you know, a combination of any two clouds, right? It could be right. two private clouds, a private cloud, public cloud, etc. And in those scenarios, uh, you can really see that the value they were looking for was the agility where they could have predictable workloads sitting on um, infrastructure that they own because the cost structure was better um, or places where they needed performance and more specifically predictable performance. They would they would maintain control over that on-prem. But then scenarios where they needed to burst, where they needed to spin up things temporarily, that, then they would actually go out and use a public cloud service or a, or a hosted private cloud service. And uh, this is actually uh, well uh, covered in that Enterprise Cloud Index in that sense. Uh, very specifically, I'll pull up a stat here that talks about this. So 91% of the respondents said that hybrid cloud was the ideal IT mo uh, model for them in that scenario. And basically, 97% said that the application mobility was a much-needed feature for them to make these hybrid clouds, I, you know, a reality mm -hmm. in that sense. Uh, there, there's a lot of stats there. For example, it also talks about where some of these enterprises are running their applications across which clouds. Uh, so there's a, you know, a, a series of workloads like databases or uh, looking at things like uh, analytics, you know, kind of talking through that a little bit. And the thing that was, I think, most relevant, and, and there's an IDC paper that was also published on the Nutanix site that covers some of this, and it's somewhat similar outcomes or findings, is uh, some of the factors in determining where these applications run, right? So, for example, securing compliance is a big driver for these, these applications running on a private cloud versus, say, public cloud in that sense. Well, that's great insight, yeah. And we'll have all, again, we'll have all these links in the show notes uh, keep you in, in, in the loop on, on um, any new documents we produce, etc. So all the blogs that we talked about today can be found on the Nutanix community site. Um, thank you, Sachin, for taking the time to chat with us today. I'm sure we'll chat with you in the future. Thanks for having me, Angelo. Always a pleasure to be here. Great.
Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out the Nutanix online community at next.nutanix.com for blogs, resources, and connecting with the broader community. .next is happening in Copenhagen, October 8 to 10. I hope to see you there. We have a great lineup of technical content, guest speakers, and community fun. Ping me on the community site if you're interested in attending. So with that, from the team here at Nutanix, have a great week.